Do you know what this is all about? Do you know why we're here? To be out. This is out. And out is one of the single most enjoyable experiences of life. People, you know how many people talk about we should go out? This is what they're talking about. This whole thing, we're all out now. No one is home. Not one person here is home. We're all out. There are people trying to find us. They don't know where we are. Did you read? I can't find him. Where did he go? He didn't tell me where he was going. He must have gone out. You want to go out. You get ready. You pick out the clothes, right? You take the shower, get all ready, get the cash, get your friends the car, the spot, the reservation. Then you stand around. What do you do? You go, we got to be getting back. Once you're out, you want to get back. You want to go to sleep, you want to get up, you want to go out again tomorrow, right? What the hell is that? Yes, my name is Brian. What would you say you do here? Stone on air. I'm so happy I could die. I want to go out so bad. I'm so happy I could die right now. I'm so happy. I'm so happy since you left me. I could die because I'm so happy. Yeah, just kill me now. Welcome in, everybody. It is the supposed for-profit venture known as the Stone On Air podcast. Getting back to close to a midweek download destination. Now that i got a little extra free time in my hands, it's easier to do. We'll see how that goes into the future. This is available for download for the very first time. First thing, April 22nd, as I know that you listen to the podcast at the very first moment that you have the opportunity to every single week, and I thank you so much for that. I'm going to get quickly to the point and into the segments of the show today. I have a lot going on. I've worked on this one for a while. Will it be one of the better shows I've ever done? Probably not. Will it be important? Very likely it will not be, but I just have had a lot of time. So I've put a decent amount of effort into it. And even though I am getting a very, very late start on Tuesday the 21st, and I'm frustrated with some equipment malfunctioning that I'm having, I've been able to pretty much right the ship and get things rolling. If you hear any hiccups in the audio, like if there's any staggering or stalls, it's because my software is not doing what I want it to do and I don't have time to wait anymore and I can't restart anymore. It's time to just hit play or I should say record, I guess, and go and just see what happens. First things first, when I put these shows together, they're very deliberate and I try to do it, you know, like a radio show where I set it up and I tease out what's coming up and how I'm going to do things and how I'm going to lay it out. All with the hopes that I build anticipation, right? That's the point. Teases, as they're called, right? So last week, one of the teases that I built into one of the segments, I don't remember how I did or didn't do it, but it was, uh, I was, I teased early on at the end of the show, I was going to talk about the new version of the, this is what I heard guy. Hey, let me tell you what I heard guy, right? That kind of person that I complain about a lot. Well, there's a new one that's a slightly different uh, variation of that, that I never got to. I realized that I never did it. And it's, uh, here's what they are saying, guy. Um, I'm hearing this so often, water cooler stuff, break room. Unfortunately, my main office at the day job is directly connected to the break room where some of the most dullard, numbnut, nonsensical, asinine conversations take place every single day. And constantly, over and over and over again, I'm hearing, and it's all involved with coronavirus and COVID and all these and shutdowns and blah, 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 blah. Hey, well, here's what, I, here's what they're saying. They're saying this. Well, you know what they're saying? They're saying this. Who the hell is they? 
All right, enough. Alrighty, who is they? And somebody who is just trying to be a smart ass said something about, yeah, I guess you should probably get the Zanteddy band back together or something. Here, here, here is a stupid inside joke with the old band I used to be in. And I said, oh yeah, Jimmy, really? Is that what they are saying? And uh, that was it. Got a small smirk out of it and moved along. But I never paid off on that tease last week. And I'm sure you're sitting there saying, God damn it, Brian, why didn't you come through? I'm sure nobody even thought about it again, but it weighed on me. I was like, I cannot, uh, I cannot at least not go back to that to start the show. All right, so final segment of the show, The Last Dance, the 10-part, virtually 10-hour documentary of the final season of uh, Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson, and the Bulls as we knew them in the 1990s that started on a Sunday on ESPN, and it got me reminiscing and thinking about my Michael Jordan story. And I think I've told it, I know I've told it on the radio, I think I've told it on the podcast at some point in the last four years, but I can't remember. So coming up in the final segment, it is my anecdotal Michael Jordan story. In the second segment of the show, forget politicizing COVID-19, what about just the overall voting aspect and the election itself? in November. Is it going to be affected? And how will we vote? And is there a chance that the election date could be moved? John Heilman from MSNBC and author of the book Game Change was on with Tony Kornheiser. I captured around two minutes of that audio or so, and I'll play that back for you in the middle of the show here on the front end and the back end of the first segment of the show. Talk some quarantine updates, some stuff I've been doing, just some thoughts here and there. Uh, Andy Burke, and the governor don't see exactly eye to eye. Maybe the mayor of Hamilton County and Andy Burke might not see eye to eye. I'll touch on the latest from that here in the middle of the week. Also, uh, the statement from Eastridge Mayor Brian Williams as far as opening up uh, business, the economy, all that in a matter of just a few minutes. Let's see. So let's do this thing first. Once upon a time, I talked about how I wanted to have a segment every day on the show that was the coolest thing and the Worst idea. Kind of just a fun way to start the show with a little couple audio clips, minute or so long, of something that was really awesome and something that was really stupid. Well, the problem is, is it's difficult to have something that's that good to jump off with the show every single week, and I don't have a staff or anybody to help me do it, so I've never been able to uh, actually put that together. But if I were to have that segment today, and I were to go with the coolest thing... It would be this. Over the course of the last week or two, there's been lots of quarantine shows. The uh, Global Citizen thing all day on Saturday was fun. A lot of cool stuff uh, that was broadcast all day on ABC. It might have been on other cable or uh, uh, network channels as well. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what this quarantine show came from, but it is the 15-year-old daughter of Chris Cornell. Her name is Tony Cornell playing Hunger Strike, at least portions of it, for a quarantine concert. Today's coolest thing. Hi, I'm Tony Cornell, sitting in my dad's studio during this crazy time. I'm going to sing one of my favorite songs for you guys. I love you, Daddy, and I hope I do this some justice. i 
little choppy, little choppy on the uh, guitar work. She's only 15 years old. She'll get better at that. But the voice is obviously there. I thought that was incredibly cool. On the uh, tail end here of the first segment, I'm going to do another one of those things that are becoming trendy and popular on social media, hashtags and pick your 10 favorite bands or all these different kinds of things. I saw trending on Twitter Tuesday, hashtag five perfect movies. And I will uh, wrap up the segment with that here coming up in just a minute. Quarantine update, though, here from me. Uh, about to start season two of Hands Made Tale. I am looking forward to seeing where that uh, really interesting show goes. It is... I'll let you do the research on it. If you care, you'll go look yourself, or you might already know. But I am uh, looking forward to getting that second season started. And over the course of Sunday this past weekend, I started watching Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. I'd seen it before, two, three, four episodes maybe. I watched about 10 or 15, and they were all, well, most of them were pretty good. A few of them weren't as well uh, done because you could tell that his his rapport his relationship with with some of his guests were different than others, and the ones you could tell that they were longer-term friends and had more in common, that those shows went better. I also don't love the editing. It's a little choppy. You don't ever actually get any long, stretched-out conversation. It's just kind of one-liners a lot of the time, and sometimes those those one-liners didn't land all that well. And, you know, I get it. It's comedians, and he's an observational, rapid-fire, go-go-go type of comedian. Um, but overall, it's a pretty cool show. The best one was with Chris Rock. Him and Chris obviously have known each other for a uh, long time. Well, I guess that's not obvious, but it 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 is clear after you watch this. These these dudes have spent some time together, and that one was quite good. So uh, if you haven't ever checked that out, Netflix. Let's see. Uh, here's another thing I'm getting to get tired of, and I'm looking forward to getting this economy restarted. Uh, ordering takeout from your favorite bars and restaurants. It's a Nice idea. It's a fun idea. In reality, it kind of sucks. And I've been doing it here pretty regularly because, A, I want to support. I really do. And, B, there's a lot of really good restaurants, and uh, I miss going to them. And a couple that I've done in particular because they're close to my work, uh, Terminal a couple times, Stir, Amigos near my house here, uh, Slick's Burgers. I know I'm leaving somebody out in the last, you know, four, five, six weeks. But... This stuff's expensive, okay? And there's a certain level of charm to the entire experience of going out. That was why it was so fun to find that intro with uh, Seinfeld from the old show. You know, we're going out. This is out. We want to go out. We're spending money. Part of the ch- part of the entire experience is going out. The bison burger and the the soup, the sausage and beer cheese soup from the terminal is damn good. But you know what's not good is first of all, it it's not cheap because you're paying again for the entire experience of the of the the restaurant, of the of the gathering, of the sitting, of the eating and the drinking and the camaraderie and all that. And I'm tipping heavily because I feel like I should. So I'm overspending for my meals. And then, like tonight, my beer cheese soup half of it spills out my damn floorboard on the way to the house. That's not their fault. That's not their problem. That's my fault, and that's my problem. But I'm getting tired of that. I went to the stir the other day because I wanted to get, they were selling, you could get drinks, and they make great drinks there. And I wanted some of their ice because that's their gimmick, and it's a great gimmick. Well, they didn't have the ice machines going because why would they? So they're just making drinks and there is no ice. 
And now I'm just paying $36 for a couple of doubles that aren't any better than the, the drinks I could have made at home. And so I'm, I'm not mad. I'm not even irritated. It's just I'm tired of it. I want to go spend $36 on drinks with my friends and watch whatever's on the screen and get the, the awesome shaved ice in my drink. That's what I want. I don't want this in a, in a to-go cup, right? I don't want the beer cheese soup in a, in a styrofoam bowl, it just it doesn't work for me that way, and I'm sick of that. So I I, have, I appreciate the incredible food by these incredible restaurants, but the reason I pay as much as I do for this is because I really enjoy coming into your establishments and sitting down and going out and enjoying myself. So I'm looking forward to getting back to that, and hopefully we will be doing that soon because the governor is here in the South anyway, uh, Kemp in Georgia, and... Bill Lee here in Tennessee has said, basically, I think Georgia's saying into this weekend they're going to start slowly opening stuff up, kind of phasing things in, and they haven't exactly discussed how they're going to do that exactly yet. Tennessee's saying May 1st. Before I get into some quotes from local county and city mayors here in Chattanooga, I'm just still so irritated. This is another one of those partisan issues where Democrats fall on one side of it and Republicans fall on the other, and then most everybody in the middle, moderate, libertarian types have their own kind of thought on it. But I'm just saying I am ready. Open, 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 open. Keeping, quote-unquote, non-essential businesses shut down, forcing them to close for longer than this now going on six weeks is just wrong. I'm just not on board with it. I'm not okay with it. Uh, There are certain risks that we all have to take in life. And I believe that we've done a pretty damn good job, as a matter of fact. If you're out, which you're not supposed to be, according to you know code or whatever, it's not a law or an absolute regulation rule, it's just a guideline. But if you are out like I am every day, because I go to work every day, the, the, the streets are empty. There's no traffic. There's nothing going on. Walk around downtown, it's eerie feeling. It feels like a walking dead scene or something. It's Nothing is happening. Nothing is going on. People are just sitting around their house, annoying the hell out of themselves and each other. And we've done this now for going on six weeks. Enough's enough. It's time to reopen the damn country. I'm ready for it now. I don't care about the election, right, at this moment anyway. I don't care about the election in November. I, I am concerned for the well-being of the, you know my fellow humans. I am a humanitarian to a certain degree. But here's the fun thing about a democracy and the fun thing about freedom. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Nobody does. If you're concerned about getting sick, stay home. If you're worried about getting other people who might be more susceptible to uh, to disease and flus and symptoms that could could be dangerous to them, stay away from those people. You have that right. We have that right. I don't need the mayor of Chattanooga, Andy Asshole Burke, telling me or you or anybody else how they can and should or shouldn't conduct their business as long as there's some kind of guidelines that are being followed, that are being respected and accepted. And if I owned a small business that was, quote, not essential, after May 1st, if Andy Burke continued to say that he's not opening up the city yet, I'd open up my damn business and say, come come, come and get me. Here's my wrist. Cuff me, Burke. What are you going to do about it, bro? I mean, seriously, enough's enough. There's only so much we can do, and we've done a lot. I feel like we've done a lot. And I was going to read you uh, the quotes and stuff here, but there's no reason to read, read the exact quotes. Here's the deal. Burke says he doesn't know about the end of the month being the time to reopen. He calls it an arbitrary date to a certain degree. He's not wrong. It is an arbitrary date. But we're in the neighborhood of six weeks with so much business being shut down, the economy absolutely falling apart. 
I'm fine with it. Uh, Mayor Coppinger from Hamilton County says that he is going to follow the lead of Governor Bill Lee, saying if we start to see a significant reversal, we will reconsider our decision. I realize that the COVID-19 has impacted not only our economy, but our individuals as well. Goes on and on and on there. And again, this is going to be a phased in thing. It's not like we open up, you know, the business on 8 a.m. on uh, May 1st and all day and night we're having a party. It, it, I don't know what these steps are. They have yet to uh, to, to tell us what those are going to be from both Georgia and Tennessee. Brian Williams here in East Ridge because they are a municipality upon amongst themselves inside of Hamilton County. Again, not part of Chattanooga. A lot of people do not realize that. Just a quick line from the prepared statement from the East Ridge Mayor Brian Williams. Once we have the state-staged reopening plan and guidelines, which is expected to be released by Governor Lee this Friday, we will evaluate the plan and guidelines for East Ridge and prepare for facilitating the reopening of businesses. Not Not only am I good with this, I applaud this. It's time. Okay, running a little late, so let's get to the hashtag five perfect movies segment. So I'm just going to do this on the podcast. When these things trend on Twitter and Facebook and people are doing this to entertain themselves in this boring times of our lives, I'm just going to do it on the on the, uh, on the the podcast. Hopefully that's cool with you. So now I'm not a movie guy. If you listen regularly, you already know that. But I did used to be, and I still can appreciate a good flick. It's just not... Very often, but uh, trending the other day was hashtag five perfect movies. So I picked my five favorite and I also threw in an honorable mention. And I just did this really quick. So I might have left something out. And if I reevaluated, I might come up with a couple of different answers or a couple of different selections, but in no particular order. And I also pulled clips from all of them because why the hell not? Audio is fun to play with. I was too young to remember when it first came out, but it still ended up being one of my favorite movies of all time. It's Back to the Future. A portable television studio. No wonder your president has to be an actor. He's got to look good on television. Whoa, this is it. This is the part coming up, Doc. No, 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 no. This sucker's electrical. But I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of, elect- of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! Great Scott! And, of course, that's when Marty is already back uh, in uh, 1955 trying to figure out how the hell he's going to get back. And shortly after, Doc Brown grabs his, his uh, framed picture of Tom Edison's, Tom, how could I be so irresponsible? 1.21 gigawatts. That was great. And I quickly found these clips, so they're not necessarily my favorite clips from the movies. Now, when I do remember when this one came out, it took four years. It was 1989. It was a follow-up. It was Back to the Future 2. Wait a minute. Cubs win World Series against Miami? Yeah, it's something, huh? Who would have thought? Hundred to one shot. I wish I could go back to the beginning of the season, put some money on the Cubs. I just meant Miami. What did you just say? I said I wish I could go back to the beginning of the season, put some money on the Cubbies. I'm just glad that those stinking Cubs didn't end up winning the World Series on the uh, anniversary date of 2015 from the movie. They did it in 2016. I'll talk about my ties to Chicago on the tail end of the show here in a few. Not many people would disagree that Shawshank Redemption is as bad as good as it gets and can be rewatched over and over and over again. That's where Andy crossed. When I picture him heading south in his own car with a top down, it always makes me laugh. 
Andy Dufresne, who crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side. Andy Dufresne, headed for the Pacific. There were so many I could have chose from um, from that uh, nearly two and a half hour movie. I just quickly uh, grabbed that one. Uh, this might surprise some people. Some people it won't. I have been obsessed with not just the movie Titanic, but the um, the entire story, the timeline, and the era of the actual Titanic back in 1912. It set sail on my birthday, April 10th, uh, 1912. It hit the iceberg on the 13th, but it sank into the middle of the night on the 14th, which is my sister's birthday, 1912. Just anecdotal stuff that doesn't mean anything to anybody else. And it's a movie, or a time frame really, all the way around, a perfect representation, but the movie does it very good justice from my interpretation of reading and watching documentaries on it my entire life of what is the perfect representation of class warfare, certainly in the early portion of the uh, 20th century when you know wealth inequality was as about as uh, far apart as it as has ever been. You think it's bad now? I mean, l- look back in the 1912, 1950, 1920, 1930, and it's just a fascinating time of history, the turn of the century from the uh, 1800s to the 1900s, and I just love it. And I think James Cameron made an absolutely amazing movie in 1997 with the Titanic. She is the largest moving object ever made by the hand of man in all history. Hey. Uh- who thought of the name Titanic? Was it you, Bruce? Well, yes, actually. <laughs> I wanted to convey sheer size, and size means stability, luxury, and above all, strength. Do you know of Dr. Freud, Mr. Ismay? His ideas about the male preoccupation with size might be of particular interest to you. I love that. Love it. What's gotten into you? Excuse me. I do apologize. Freud, who is he? Passenger? It fades off right there. And, uh, who's who's Freud? Is he a passenger of, of the ship? Uh, just really, really good stuff. And I'm sure I didn't even know who uh, Sigmund Freud was at that time when the movie came out. But uh, let's see the fifth, and then I'm going to give you an honorable mention. Pulp Fiction is just as good as it gets, and I quickly pulled this. I could have pulled from 30 different uh, incredible legendary lines from the movie. This is the first one that popped into my head. But still, I have to say, you play with matches, you get burned. What do you mean? You don't be giving Marcellus Wallace's new bride a foot massage. You don't think he overreacted? Well, Antoine probably didn't expect Marcellus to react the way he did, but he had to expect a reaction. It was a foot massage. A foot massage is nothing. I give my mother a foot massage. It's laying your hands in a familiar way on Marcellus's new wife. I mean, is it as is bad as eating her pussy out? No. It was the same fucking ballpark. Whoa, 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 stop right there. Eating a bitch out and giving a bitch a foot massage ain't eating the same fucking thing. It's not. It's the same ballpark. Ain't no fucking ballpark, neither. Now, look, maybe your method of massage differs from mine, but, you know, touching his wife's feet and sticking your tongue in the holiest of holies ain't the same fucking ballpark. It ain't the same league. It ain't even the same fucking sport. Look, foot massages don't mean shit. Have you ever given a foot massage? <laughs> Don't be telling me about foot massages. I'm the foot fucking master. You giving a lot of them? Shit, yeah. Got my technique down and everything. I don't be tickling or nothing. Would you give a guy a foot massage? Fuck you. There's so many to choose from. That's the one I went with. And here's another one where there's so many to choose from. That's officially my hashtag five perfect movies with an honorable mention of Bull Durham. Did you hear what I said? 
I mean, I'm, I'm going to the show. You know what the difference between hitting 250 and 300 is? It's 25 hits. 25 hits and 500 at-bats is 50 points, okay? There's six months in a season. That's about 25 weeks. That means if you get just one extra flare a week, just one, a gork, you get a, a ground ball, you get a, you get a ground ball with eyes, you get a dying quail, just one more dying quail a week, and you're in Yankee Stadium. You still, you, you still don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Get the hell out of get here. Get the hell out of here. I'll send you All a right. postcard. Postcard. Yeah, so good. So, so, so good. So, yeah, I'm sorry. No superhero movies. No Batman 1 through 10. No Spider-Man or Seth Rogen stoner movies. Didn't have time to get Transformers 8 in there or one of the 10 Fast and the Furiouses. Just a few old school flicks that I absolutely love. Hashtag 5 perfect movies. What about the election in November? How are we going to vote if this continues to be an issue as far as mass gatherings? We're talking about people getting back into business. That's different than putting 10 and 5 and 20,000 people in the same spot or just hundreds of people in the same spot. Well, John Heilman of MSNBC and author of Game Change joined Tony Kornheiser, and I've got some clips from that, and it's coming up next. Stone on Air. We'll be right back. He's cool. David Axelrod has said a couple times that he thinks there are two outcomes of the election. One is Trump wins. The other is Trump contests the outcome. Like, there's no outcome where, there's no imaginable world where Trump loses and on the day after the election says, you know, I fought as hard as I could. The other guy was better. He won. Congratulations. I, I, I want to now manage an orderly transition to power. There's no world where that's going to happen. Trump is going to claim fraud no matter what. I love this song. The opener from the new Pearl Jam record called Gigaton. It's whoever said. So bummed about missing this show. Ugh, so bummed. It's all delivery. Oh, and the messenger who is now dead. It was all on the periphery. I didn't see him, but I heard what he said. Oh, and sideways talk, poisoning our thoughts. Everyone walks and it's no one's fault. Whoever said that it's all been said gave up on satisfaction. So damn good. How does one human being, Ed Ved, writes such incredible lyrics his entire life? It is fantastic stuff. All right, so I'm not going to get too political here, but it's difficult to not do it a little bit. Overall, I just really enjoy this conversation that Tony Kornheiser had on his podcast the other day with John Heilman. Of, uh, he's a contributor to MSNBC. He doesn't have a show. He's not like employed by MSNBC. He's just on there a lot. So clearly you know where he's coming from. If they're on Fox News, if they're on MSNBC, we all know where they're coming from. He uh, wrote a book called, uh, damn it, where did my notes go? It's Game Change. Game Change at the um, uh, right around the time that uh, Barack Obama won the election back in 2008. Haven't read it, don't know anything about it, other than I'm sure it is a pro-Obama kind of look at the overall election, just so everybody knows 
where he is coming from. So here's the deal. They're talking and talking and talking. It's about a 10, 12-minute segment. But what I really started to think was interesting was talking about, all right, what if we still can't gather in mass amounts, right? We will reopen the economy, restaurants and other non-essential, as they call them, businesses will be able to reopen, but concerts, rallies, conventions, uh, gatherings of hundreds and two hundreds of people in small space, that might still be something that's frowned upon, if not completely not allowed for potentially the rest of the year. What does that do for voting? And more specifically in this comment, what about the election itself? Could it be moved? So everything that anybody, including me, says about it is kind of made up. I mean, in the, in the sense that none of nobody knows what's going to happen in the next in the next nine months. Here's one thing I think a starting point, right? People ask this question all the time, like, is there some way that the election could get moved? You know, could Trump delay the election? And the answer to that question is no. The, I mean, there's a the, the unlike primary elections, the the national presidential election every four years, the date of it is written into federal law. So yeah. November 3rd, Tuesday, November 3rd, there's going to be a presidential election unless the House and Senate all agreed to change the date, which will never happen. So we're yeah. going to have an election on November 3rd. Oops. Could you imagine if the House was controlled by the Republicans right now and obviously they have the Senate, could they then, with the Republican president, change the date of the election. That would be wild. Uh, thankfully, we're not going to know whether that uh, would happen or not because we don't have that. We have split control. So the date will not change, and there will be an election on the um, on the 3rd. I did not know, or whatever the first Tuesday of November is, I did not know that that was in federal law. But more specifically, how about voting? You know, how, how what about expanding the ways that we can vote. Now, I, I've only voted on on election day. Like, that's when I show up. That's when I vote. And I think a lot of people follow that same kind of traditional uh, kind of aspect of it. But there's several other ways of voting. And these are also other things that I've heard of before, but I didn't know all that much about. Yeah, many of this, I can't remember the number now, but many states already have mail-in, have vote by mail. And many of them have no excuse absentee ballots. So, for instance... The six big battleground states this year, and it really is just six, the states that are going to determine the outcome of the election, by common consensus among the two parties, Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, all six of those states that are going to be the states where both parties spend their most time, effort, energy, money between now and November, all six of those states already have vote-by-mail and no-excuse absentee ballots. Okay, so what is exactly... No excuse absentee balloting. So I'm going to spend a, a minute or two on this because this is just where I have to plead ignorance. Of course, I've I've heard of absentee balloting. I think of it normally as as um, military, right? Navy, Army, uh, Air Force people who are out of the country on uh, duty, and and other people that fall into those similar categories. They can vote via mail or other ways. And I just had never spent a lot of time thinking about. So yeah, I've heard of absentee balloting. I'd never heard of no excuse absentee balloting and vote by mail balloting. So I looked it up just real quick to find out in 29 states in the District of Columbia, any citizen can cast an absentee ballot. In 16 states, a vote a voter must give a valid excuse in order to vote absentee, and there are 5 states that conduct all voting by mail. I had no idea 
of 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 these different rules, regulations, and guidelines from different states. Twenty nine states, you can absentee ballot, no excuse, meaning you don't have to have any reason. You can say, I didn't feel like getting off my fat ass and going and doing anything other than mailing you in a a, a ballot. That is in 29 states already, and according to John Heilman, in all of the six battleground states. So there's not a heck of a lot we really need to fix. We just need to make sure that people in these states understand this. And I bet there's a plenty that don't because I hadn't heard of most of this. In 16 states, Tennessee being one of them, I think Georgia is another. I'll take a look at it. I've got the list here in front of me. No, Georgia is no excuse required. It, uh, Tennessee, you have to have an excuse. Commonly accepted reasons for casting an absentee ballot include uh, illness or physical disability, a voter being required to work during polling hours, religious uh, observation or observance, uh, incarceration, non-felony, uh, a, a voter's prolonged absence from his or her home county, armed forces, overseas, those kinds of the college students, those kinds of things. So um, this is not new news to many, I guess. It's just... I didn't know. All I've known is election day, I go vote. That's as far as I ever really thought about it. And overall, not that important, I don't guess, this conversation, but still just grabbed me and I just was like, wait, what? There are the five states that are all mail ballot elections. It's Colorado, Hawaii, Oregon, Utah, and Washington. Now, I've never heard of this before. You can still go vote on election day, but everybody who is registered is mailed a ballot. Here it is from uh, What Are All Mail Ballot Elections? Ballots are mailed out well ahead of election day, and thus voters have an, a quote-unquote election period, not just a single day to vote. All mail elections can be thought of as absentee voting for everyone. This system is also referred to as vote-by-mail. So this means that every registered voter receives a ballot by mail. This does not preclude in-person voting opportunities on and or before election day. For example, despite the fact that all registered voters in Colorado are mailed a ballot, voters can choose to cast a ballot at an in-person vote center during early voting and they can or excuse me, not and or can do it on election day. So they still have what would be considered a traditional election. It's just every single person who's registered has the option to not have to mess with it and just drop it in a mailbox. Now, it's still a little archaic because it is the USPS which is just basically a distribution of junk mail and bills, but it's still a very efficient way of transferring information. Might be losing money left and right, but they're still very good at what they do. But, oh, hey, isn't that right? Trump has been hating on the USPS here recently. I wonder why. Back to John Heilman from the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Democrats have been trying to add more money to these stimulus packages with the goal of getting all 50 states the capabilities of mail-in voting. 50 million people voted by mail in 2016. So Donald Trump stands up and says, I hate vote by mail. It's full of fraud. We can't have vote by mail. There's a big argument going on right now to the point about Democrats are all looking up and saying, hey, we might not be able to get to the polls in November. The virus could come back in the fall. We have to make provisions now so that everyone in the country can vote early and vote by mail with no excuse. And they're asking for money. They asked for money in the last stimulus bill. They wanted $2 billion to convert the country to fully vote by mail. 
Um, the Republicans hate this idea because they don't like the idea of more people voting because as Trump said the other day, if more people vote, Republicans will always lose. Um, amazingly, he actually said that on Fox and Friends. I uh, did a little fact check on that to see if that's actually what Don Trump said the other day on Fox and Friends. He kind of did. He didn't say it exactly, but he kind of did. But I've been saying for years, decade, decade and a half, if every person in this country that described themselves as or at least somewhat sided with the ideology of a Democrat would actually vote, a Republican would never hold a national office ever again. It's just that we have a lot of people that don't vote. So back to the front end of the show, the or the segment, I should say, the rejoin, talking about Trump is going to scream fraud no matter what. The final cut here from the Tony Kornheiser show with John Hyman puts the wraps on that. And Trump is going to claim fraud no matter what. And you are 100% right because he's already doing it. He's laying the groundwork to say, um, we know there's going to be more voting by mail than there's ever been in this election. And he's already said from the White House podium, he's already said, I think that the vote by mail is inherently fraudulent. It's, you know, you have to go to the polling place with your ID card. That's the only vote that should count. And again, I point out that 50 million people voted by my mail in 2016. Yeah. So it's a ridiculous position. And here we go again. Remember, the entire run down the home stretch in 2016 was Trump setting the stage for being able to say I was robbed because Hillary rigged it. And this was all a big screw job from the beginning. And that wasn't the case whatsoever. And he's doing it again. The Last Dance doc on the 1997-1998 Bulls, the final of their six championship runs that started on ESPN this past weekend and runs for the next four weeks, is fascinating television and is a must-see for any sports fan. And I will give you my anecdotal Michael Jordan story that I am in no way proud of and really, just to be completely honest, absolutely ashamed of. It'll all make sense coming up next. More of Stone on Air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At stoneonair.com. It's easy to understand why many consider Michael Jordan the greatest player in basketball history. Michael Jordan was doing things that you never even thought you'd see. Steal. He kept it in bounds. Here it is again. You couldn't imagine seeing it. Oh! Whatever you paid to see Michael Jordan, it wasn't enough. You knew that every night out there, you were going to get the greatest concert of your life. Drafted by the Bulls with the third overall pick in 1984, he was an instant sensation. His basketball brilliance was captivating fans not just across the country, but around the world, as Jordan had become a global icon. Sometimes I dream that he is me. I just want to be like Chuck. I mean, mind your shit. This is the remix version of the Gatorade commercial. One last segment here, and we'll wrap up the show for this week. Thank you so much for finding the Stone On Air podcast at Stone On Air on all social media. Of course, you already knew that. And he really was a, just an international superstar for many years. By the time I was old enough to understand what he was and what great sports were, it was when the championship started. 
You know, I was four years old when he was drafted. I was six or seven by the time he started going to the playoffs. And I was 11 by the time they won a championship. And my in, uh, a very large percentage of my family came from Chicago. Now, there was a lot from the Virginias and the Carolinas. And then a handful that ended up in Southern California. But a big nucleus so right there in the Midwest in the Chicagoland area. And many of them are still there, the ones that are still living. And we used to go to Chicago constantly, uh, virtually every year at least once, and go to Wrigley and to the United Center and to the museums in downtown Chicago. Never made it to uh, Soldier Field. Was never in town during football season when uh, the uh, Bears were in town. I've been outside of Soldier Field before, but I've never been inside of it. And I've certainly I haven't been over there since they renovated it about 15 years ago. I have been to Old Comiskey in 1990, right before they tore it down. I've been to New Comiskey the very first year it was opened, if I remember right, in 1991, maybe it was 1992. But as a young child, I became pretty familiar with Chicago, at least as much as you can as being, you know, a young idiot kid who can only soak up so much information and only cares about so much information. But I became a big Blackhawks fan and a Bulls fan and a Cubs fan and even a little bit of the White Sox, even though, you know, you weren't supposed to be a fan of both. And that lasted until my mid-teens, late teens, and then I started to kind of create my own identities and went away from the Chicago sports to the point now where I hate virtually all of them. I could do a whole segment on why I hate Chicago sports, and I'm not going to do that now. But back then, I was a big fan, and I had every reason and every right to be a super fan, a real fan. Not just like I was a 49ers, Joe Montana, Steve Young fan at this same time, right? That doesn't make any sense. I live in Tennessee. I'm just pulling for the team across the country that's wowing me every week. I don't have any real connection to that team. And I kind of I do follow along with those guidelines of I like you to have a real emotional connection rather than just, oh, my favorite team's the Lakers and I love Duke and Notre Dame's great too. And oh, Florida State. Like, come on, man. Have an emotional connection. That's what makes this fun. That's what makes this real. That's what makes the you know the the hair stand up on the back of your neck is the, the things that are real about it. Not just the childish, oh hey, look, everybody loves Michael Jordan, so so do I. I actually had a reason to love this because I was there watching it. I was in the city. I was in the suburbs regularly as a child old enough to remember all this. Okay, so I'm a big Bulls fan, a real Michael Jordan fan. And it's not that I'm not a Bulls fan anymore. It's just I don't care about the NBA, and I haven't cared about the NBA for 20 years. Okay, so let's jump forward a couple of years, all right? So it's the middle of the 90s, earlier portion towards the middle of the 90s. And my uh, my father is or was a podiatrist, a foot doctor, all right? So he is in the medical community and for a while did pretty well. The main reason that we ended up here in Chattanooga was because there were virtually no podiatrists in this area, and the majority of my family are Seventh-day Adventists. And so Chattanooga 
Collegedale has always been on the radar of my uh, of his side of the family. My mom's side of the family was also Seventh-day Adventist, and they got together and decided they didn't like it and went a different direction. I've said in my adult years, I actually think that's one of the more sensible um, religious teachings out there I've seen, but I'll leave that out there and move away. That's not the point of any of this. So we end up in Chattanooga in 1986. I think actually at first we were right off a state line road. I think we were in Georgia to begin with immediately in 1986 and been here ever since. So effectively my entire life, though I've been back to Southern California where I was born in San Diego a couple of times, I am a Chattanooga, Tennessee guy. So my dad gets in, starts practicing, has two different offices, one in Shalliford, one in Hickson, and is one of the only few podiatrists in the city until, you know, the late and middle of the 90s. And then things start to take off. And certainly now there's a podiatrist every damn corner, it seems like, just like everything else and every other industry. And so he became the team podiatrist for the UTC Mox football and basketball programs and the team podiatrist for these Chattanooga lookouts. Um, He has done procedures on Terrell Owens. He has done procedures on many uh, former mocks, most of which you've never heard of. Brandon Bourne would be one that was one of my favorite players back in the day. I think Brandon still lives in town and does uh, real estate, if I'm not mistaken. He has done uh, a lot of work for those few years, 93, 94, 95, and that's probably about when it stopped. It wasn't something he did for decades. It was just for a handful of years when things were going pretty well into the mid 90s. So I was at Chamberlain Field when uh, Air McNair, when Steve was in town with Alcorn State. We were there more as just a billboard with signs and maybe a vehicle or something. He wasn't an on-site trainer for game day. He was just where they would send the players when they needed treatment later. So we were at tons of games, both UTC football, basketball, and Chattanooga Lookouts baseball. And whether he was involved with the team, with the Lookouts or not, we still, for many years, were always at Engel Stadium. He had a group of friends. They were drinking buddies. They'd be their home, their their season tickets right behind the plate every year. And I just run around, get autographs. Got my Chipper Jones autograph. Uh, several of them, many other players that I won't bore you with right now. Through all those years, fun, great time in my life. Well, in 1994, Michael Jordan, for whatever reason, we can all speculate that it might have something to do with gambling and other illegal activity that might have frowned upon this uh, league, the NBA, that was exploding because of MJ and the Bulls. Uh, Michael's father, James Jordan, tragically is murdered in a very suspicious setting back when information was much more difficult to get a, get a hold of than it is now. And abruptly, after three straight na- uh, championships, NBA championships, Michael Jordan at the age of, what was it, I think 31? something like that, maybe it was 32, retires so he can he can fulfill his lifelong dream of playing baseball, which none of us have ever heard before. There's never this long-running narrative that Michael Jordan wanted to play baseball, except for all of a sudden now he did. Jerry Reinsdorf owned both the Bulls and the White Sox, and so Michael Jordan is signed by the White Sox to play Baseball, and he is uh, starting in Double A Birmingham in 1994, which is in the Southern League. Plays a lookout several times every year because they're in the same division of the Southern League. All right, so this is exciting to everybody. And ESPN comes to Chattanooga 
more than once, at least twice, maybe three times, to broadcast nationally Lookouts versus Barron's uh, baseball with Michael Jordan there. So here's what my dad puts together. And I don't remember how excited I was. I'm sure at first I was. But I had started doing uh, being a bat boy for the Lookouts probably in 92, maybe 93, two or three times. And what I remember is there was one guy, or maybe two, that were kind of the... Uh, the head of the of the Bat Boys that were probably in mid to upper high school probably got paid a few bucks for summer summer work, and then they'd have just you know buddies of the owners and the general managers, kids be kind of the go boys. So the 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 kid who's my boss is like sixteen or seventeen, and I'm like twelve, thirteen, or fourteen, and I remember thinking, man, this is so exciting! I can't wait to be the Bat Boy for a game. And then I remember getting there because kids, you know, are just so stupid and have no uh, attention span and three hours feels like three months. It's like, oh, wait, that seemed like fun, except I got to sit here for three hours and keep getting these bats every time and keep paying attention and bring out the baseballs to the umpire. This actually isn't quite as cool as it seemed. I mean, it is It's like before and after it's great, but during this is a lot of work. Oh, this is hard. I got to remember to go get the bat every time. I got to remember to take the three baseballs out to the umpire because I can't pay attention because I'm watching, you know, something in the outfield when the umpire is like, hey, I need three more. You know, and they put their hands out. You bring them the baseballs, the cleaned, uh, the clean baseballs. I mean, pretty simple shit. But for a 14, 13 year old, it seems like it's a really, really tough day's work, <laughs> you know, but you're getting a lot of attention, a lot of pictures taken. Everybody's telling you how proud of you they are so there's still there's still some uh, satisfaction there but it wasn't so romanticized that I couldn't wait to do it again well my dad had arranged for me to be the bat boy when the Barons were in town with Michael Jordan on that team now not the lookouts bat boy he had me arranged to be the Birmingham Barons visitors bat boy and not just any game, this is just happenstance, the game that he did not play, meaning he was on the bench for that game and was going to be in the dugout the entire time for two to three hours while I was in the dugout as well, assuredly would have met him, likely hadn't pictures taken with him, certainly would have ended up with an autograph before the night was over. I was 14 years old, for crying out loud. I wouldn't think he would tell the kid in the in the dugout he's not going to sign the damn baseball or whatever it is. So this is a pretty big favor pulled. I mean, this is, this is not just some quick phone call. This is really work in the room and saying, hey, this is something that a lot of your sponsors, your uh, you know friends and family and big wigs around here would like their kids to do, but I'm asking you to let my child do this. And they okayed it, and they said, okay, it's a done deal. Now, what happened exactly on that day in the summer of 1994, I cannot remember. Where I went and what I did other than go to that baseball game, I also cannot exactly remember. But I do know that it was basically to be pretty much up to no good on what was likely probably a Saturday night. What had happened is my dad was out of town on some kind of business trip. And I'm sure it was a weekend because it wouldn't, I guess it could have been the weekday. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it was a weekend. And something came up and I didn't want to go anymore. And I had no interest in doing this task because in the end, as an idiot, 
young teenager or any age teenager, oh God, this is going to be so much work. You know, you get nervous because being in front of people, it's a very, it's very nerve wracking. And what's easy is to just go hang out with your friends and maybe sneak off and smoke a joint or something, or maybe just, you know, smoke a couple of cigarettes or I don't even remember. I, I honestly don't remember, but I just said, you know what? I'm, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And my dad's not here to make me. And so I asked my mom, who was so overwhelmed with everything in her life at that time, to spend much time caring about this. I said, can you call in sick for me? I just, I don't, I don't want to go. I'd rather go do whatever else it is I went to do. Now, it doesn't matter whatever else I went to do was. It was the most meaningless bullshit of a day that I've ever had in my life. And I passed up the opportunity to be in the presence of, of one of the most uh, iconic sports figures in the history of the world. I did that. And for years, when I was younger, I didn't, I wasn't so ashamed of it. I knew it was a bad idea. I knew it was a dumb move. And it was kind of like funny, like, oh, that dumb, that stupid spit that Brian did that one time. And especially after watching the doc, The Last Dance, the other day, it just came rushing back to me. You stupid son of a bitch. You absolute effing idiot. You are an asshole. You're awful. You're terrible. You manipulated your mom. You screwed over your dad. You screwed over other kids that would have had the opportunity to do that. And I'm sure somebody slid in there and did it. I'm sure there was a number two backup somewhere who had the experience of a effing lifetime. You stupid asshole is all I can think to say to myself here recently. And damn it, it's pissing me off just thinking about it right now. I could have stood around in a dugout for two or three hours with Michael effing Jordan. And I deliberately decided not to do that. And that's where I'm going to wrap up the show right about now. Um, Me and my dad have talked about this over the years and had a laugh about it. He's a lot cooler than he could have been. It's not funny. (laughs) It's it's not funny. There is nothing charming about it. There is no uh, revisionist history to make that uh, story anything more than just shameful but all right so that's it we'll do it again uh next week likely hopefully that's the goal anyway you have a great week and we'll do it again here soon all right bye